Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David. I'm here today with Rob. Hello. Jamie. You alright? Alistair. Pleased to be on the communist podcast, Podcasting is Praxis, tonight. <laughs> yes. And joining us is special guest, Dr. Eleanor Yaniga. Suppose. What's happening? <laughs> nice to have you back. I love to be here. Uh, I love to be a communist. Um, I love to, for some reason, be allowed to talk about uh, current events, uh, which I have no right doing. But, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, to be fair, we don't really have a right, but we keep keep doing it. People keep keep inexplicably giving us money, so they've only brought it on themselves. That's right. Also, we just, like, we seize rights. We don't, you know, nobody has to give you these rights. They are natural to you. Who's going to stop us? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You and what army? You and what space twinks are going to come and stop me? I'd like to see you try. That's right. So uh, let's let's just kick off straight into the the news topic that we've picked up here, and then we'll get into the main topic of the night, which Rob has done again, probably far too many notes on. So, it's not just thing is too many notes. I just wanted to point that out to you. Only you think this. You and Riley think this. That's it. So. First thing I want to talk about is uh, landlords and renting. So, uh, some. Oh, they're good now. Uh, no. Uh, although <laughs> some things about it's, it it's, are. Damn. It's not a job anymore, Alistair. It's not a job. <laughs> well, yeah, we got well, that out well, uh, yeah. last week, didn't we? We did, yeah, that's right. Uh, no, what I wanted to talk about was some shit that's been happening on the continent. So, you may have heard that in September there was a referendum in Berlin. And the referendum was on basically. But to leave the do. EU. But to leave the EU. No. 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 Oh, no was, was the, did they did they have a referendum on something so, sane? Put, yeah. put the Daily Mail down, Alistair. Yeah. Just put it down. Unfortunately, they had a reformation on some real good shit that we don't get to have. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they um, have came to the uh, conclusion that all corporate landlords, so any large landlord, and these were like really large landlords, should be expropriated effectively. <laughs> That's right. Oh my the, god. Yeah, yes. It's, it's fucking That's great right. owns. Hey, look, um expropriation, I would say uh much kinder than the wall, which was the other option I had on the table. So <laughs> Unfortunately not an option on the referendum. A kinder, more gentler Eleanor is on tonight. Let, let, let me write the referendum, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that referendum wasn't legally binding. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> just in case. But it did happen just on the cusp of a kind of municipal election as well. So we'll see what happens off the back of that. But it could potentially see up to 240,000 properties in Berlin become social housing. Nice. So, okay, nice. Yeah. Well, one simply Some loves good to shit. see it. Yeah. But like Christ. I said, what the, we don't David, know what the, happen. what the fuck is good news doing on this podcast? <laughs> I know it's worrying, isn't it? Yeah, we're not Russell Howard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank Christ. Anyway. Yeah. Um, no, so the other piece of news I wanted to talk about, something a lot more recent, uh, Spain is now moving forward on rent controls. Yeah. Two in a row? Whole- that must be a record. <laughs> this mm. is like the whole country, by the way. It's not just like Madrid or Barcelona. It's, this yes. is the whole country. Yes, this is actually coming through um, national government. Uh, the reason for this is that the largest landlord in Spain is now Blackstone, oh. the investment oh. fund. Oh. That's our friends from our chat with uh, Nick Bano, David. 
Yes, yes, it is. Weird that they would crop up again in such a format. Mm. Uh, they now own almost 30,000 homes across Spain. Jesus Christ, 30,000 homes. How? This is, I mean, this is what we were what we were talking about with, with Nick. It's like that renting... If you own enough rental houses, you can turn it into a financial asset and like sell off the income stream to different investors. So this is just that, but in Spain instead of London. Yeah, uh, Madrid sold a load of um, housing off to Blackstone uh, in the aftermath of the financial crisis to try and make some money back quickly. And obviously the value of those properties has skyrocketed since. Also, I lo- we'd love to see examples of like... <laughs> the state selling off like a continuous income stream for a short-term benefit it's just always ends well doesn't it oh yeah absolutely (laughs) so what's that um is it a different i assume it's a different government that's like that sold the stuff off versus now like taking it back yeah 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 yeah. so now (laughs) that so Basically, it's not just rent controls as well. This also will ban the sale of uh, social housing to investment funds. So it's not quite brilliant. It's not quite like, you know, destroying right to buy or anything, but it stops it going into immediately corporate hands, which is nice. That means they can only be bought by by NHS nurses, right? Poor pensioners and myling class, probably. (laughs) Well, first you've got to sell the houses to a grandma. And then mm. you've got like you know what yeah. I mean, and yeah, then yeah, then yeah. You can, she can sell it to an investment firm, yes. and then send you like a giant coin in a Christmas card, <laughs> worth like <laughs> millions of pounds or whatever. Well, the government in Spain is mostly run by PSOE, which is basically the Spanish Socialist Workers Party, uh, but it's in a coalition agreement with a series of smaller and more left-wing parties. We all have parts of the government to run, um, including the Communist Party of Spain and Podemos. Is because I know in um, <clears throat> like Portugal, I think it's Portugal. Uh, the Communist Party isn't actually communist; it's just like that's a shame. So yeah, I mean, many problem. disappointments in <laughs> many disappointments in terms of like naming of political parties parties across <laughs> Europe. But I'm just uh, how 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 communist is the Communist Party of Spain? Is I'll my question. Honest, I don't know, but they're closer to communist than the Socialist Workers Party of Spain, anyway. Um, is is the kind of indication that I've taken. Yeah, there. the SWP with like a Spanish accent does not bode well in my yeah. <laughs> in my mind. LSWP. What's 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 Spanish for? Would you like to buy a magazine? Quieres comprar una magazine? What's a what's a Spanish for Comrade Delta? Um... <laughs> Uh, the fun thing here is that because of this coalition government, next year's budget is contingent on this bill passing. Uh, I think that's specifically from uh, Podemos that's putting that through. So in other words, they will collapse the government over this if they don't put it through, which is a prime example of why a small left-wing party with a few seats in government can make a shit ton of difference, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so long as it just refuses to melt. Well, there's your problem. Mm. And, and therefore, what I think we need is a progressive alliance so we can get electoral <laughs> reform in the UK. You know, ironically, we need you know the the problems that are are kind of caused in the you know engineering world, very similar to the ones in the political world. What needs to happen is that things that are supposed to stay strong shouldn't melt. You go, and, yes. yeah. and then that you could just avoid all of this by simply having things not melt. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, make it more rigid, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
the um <laughs> we love a turgid communist party mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is uh funnily enough the government is called the progressive alliance in effect that's that's one of the names <laughs> that people actually do use for it at least according <laughs> to the very scant and quick research i did because i've to- never actually set foot in spain but yeah, i was gonna say so- to be fair like the fact that literally any of these people in this uh, in this alliance is prepared to collapse the government over something that is, you know, an unalloyed progressive position mm. is it's definitely a fucking step in the other direction to what our fucking progressive alliance equivalent would be, which is a bunch of fucking melts who would just collapse immediately towards the right of whatever mm. policy was being debated at any given moment. Yeah, yeah. Any, anything beyond a 6p plastic bag charge would probably end the Progressive Alliance. <laughs> yeah, well, if we're going to try and kind of take this back off the good news, let's talk about Britain. Oh, good. Um, Welcome oh, back fuck. to Podcasting as Praxis. Fuck. Every yeah. day I wake up in Britain. God damn it. Yeah. Condolences to all involved. Oy. Yeah. So, I have an article here from The Guardian. Oh, it's titled... Off. Was that, that's the second problem. <laughs> Fuck. I have to move my bike to get to the fridge. The UK boom <laughs> in micro flats. <laughs> oh, oh, micro flats. Mm, Fuck yeah. Me. So for real Fitzpatrick, a thirty-nine-year-old. Does the Guardian? Does the Guardian think that these the micro flats are cool because you can pretend you're Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. The Guardian Probably. view on micro flats. <laughs> Can I put a microbrewery in my f- micro flat though? This is an important question. No, no, no. <laughs> I need to go, I need... You need to go and use the Brewdog WeWork instead. That's yeah, I was going to yeah. say you can you can only do that if you use the most annoying marketing possible. If you want, if you want a, one in your micro flat, it has to be a nano brewery. <laughs> <laughs> Brewing one one like pint of beer at a time. So, for real Fitzpatrick, a 39-year-old dubbing mixer for television, home is a tiny studio flat smaller than a standard Premier Inn hotel bedroom. At just 19 square metres... 19? Yeah, 19. His North London micro-flat has a shower and lavatory separated from the main room by a partition without even a separate wash basin. F's in the chat for this guy. Damn. Fuck me. Oh, Oh, no, 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 no. He loves it. Sounds cosy. When like when I was in when I was in uni, like I my room was I don't know twenty square meters, give or take, and like but I didn't have a shower inside that room. Yes, Christ Almighty, that just sounds inefficient. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, David. <laughs> it's probably a bit odd people coming in and seeing your bed in the kitchen, but I've just got used to it. He says, my neighbors live in a flat similar to mine. A couple with a two-year-old kid. What the fuck? No, no. Fitzpatrick moved into the studio on the ground floor of an old townhouse converted into 10 flats in May 2018 because he was fed up with living in a house share and liked the area. Okay, I mean, well, like, uh, living living in a house share fucking sucks. Let's just say that out Yeah, I mean, like, that's fair enough. Like, I, I totally feel that. You know, we're, we're all here for getting sick of flatmates eventually. Understandable. 
He liked the area. Now, I have read ahead on the show notes because I'm a terrible <laughs> little brown noser. Uh, and I know the area he said, and it just pisses me fucking off. Because you're like, oh, fair <laughs> enough, homie. You living in town? You living in the city? You enjoying a lovely time in, uh, you know, central London? Is that what's up? Because, okay, okay, I could see it. Maybe you're simply perusing one of the many beautiful pubs that you could enjoy in London. Maybe you're taking a walk through some of the few medieval streets left oh but oh oh no 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 <laughs> so uh, i have to sleep with earplugs because the boiler is right above my bed and the fridge and the fridge is also making noises all night that's how fridges do yeah they do be like that <laughs> yeah that's right i'm just more worried about like having the um the boiler right above your bed because like if that's an old boiler you will you know, I hope he has a carbon monoxide like. Oh, but Rob, but Rob, it was recently converted, which, oh, to be well, fair, well, could then... could mean literally anything. Yeah, I mean the same student apartment that I was living in with my mates. Like the uh, at some point, the plumber had to come by and he took a look at our boiler and he was like, "That was also in somebody's room." And he literally looked at it, it was like, "How have how has nobody died in this room yet?" And we're like, uh-huh. <laughs> "I'm just picturing like the boiler falling on his bed and crushing him, like in Donnie Darko." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, dead oh, the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, we we all crave the sweet embrace of the boiler. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rent is relatively affordable at nine hundred pounds a month. Welcome to London, oh, bitch. Fuck it. Right? Yeah. Welcome okay. to why London. Just, why not just rent two and knock the wall through? <laughs> <laughs> Including gas and electricity. While the rate for a standard one-bed flat in the affluent North London area of Crouch End Fuck would off! Fuck off, Ellen is just descending into distortion right now. I can't, I can't fucking crouch in. This MFR spending 900 pounds a month to live in a shoebox in Crouch End. No, like, I take that back. This motherfucker is not living in a shoebox. This man has, like, internalized bootlicking to such a degree that he has moved inside the boot. Oh, yes. That's where he's living. <laughs> but, I mean, we are the one podcast, I think, in the UK where none of us come from London, so what the fuck is up with Crouch End and why would we not want to live there? Crouch End, Crouch End be so far away. So, okay, like, a friend of the podcast, um, uh, Justin Hancock, for example, lives in a studio flat, which is, you know, kind of still too expensive because here we are out in fucking London. In the Barbican, right? And um, I'm allowed to say that. He's mentioned it before. Uh, but And it, it makes sense because, like, he never has to pay for transport because he just walks everywhere. Again, you're like, heating is included, stuff like that. Crouch End is up in North London, kind of like north of Archway and stuff. It's, so you're in zone three of, like, London transport. So that means that your prices go up again. So anytime you need to go anywhere that isn't fucking Crouch End, you're going to be spending so much money because, like, to get... Oh, fuck me. I just looked it up on Google Maps. Yeah, that's fucking miles yeah, away. way, 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 way up. And, like, it, it... I mean, this is not... Like, yeah, it's North London, I think, is, like, you know, you're you're stretching it out here. And, like, granted, I'm a kind of, like... My thing is that I'm, I ain't paying all this money to live further out than Zone 2. That's, like, what my deal is. Uh, because, like, frankly, if he could, you know, be less of a bootlicker, you could get for around that price. It's it still, you know, it would suck. But for around that price, you could probably get some form of not terrible studio down here in southeast London where everyone else who's broke lives. Right. Like there's a reason why everyone now lives like around the kind of like 
Peckham kind of Deptford, you know, New Cross kind of area. And it's because that's that's what's affordable. And so he's insisting in living in like a really bougie place that's way, way fucking out of London. And like anytime and basically any savings that you would make in living in a shoebox, you're completely pissing up a wall anyway, in case you need to get on the tube ever. And like, fine if you ride your bike everywhere, but zone three, riding your bike everywhere is really, really far out. So like I live zone two and I ride my bike everywhere and it's fine because I'm in like the city in 20 minutes. That's not what's happening for him. So, you know, I'm just saying my man is an idiot. That's all. I just He's a guardian reader. Yeah, he's, that's essentially. This is, it's, that's prime guardian country up there. Oh yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Like extremely. Okay, I felt bad for him first, but now he's just a chump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So remembering that this is a 19 square meter flat, the government recommended a minimum space standard of 37 square meters in 2015, but it's not mandatory. Oh, no, okay. of course it's not. It's like more of a vibe, no. you know. Yeah, that's yeah. Not, yeah space <laughs> government. We love it. So there is a min- go- there's a minimum level of feng shui you need to have, but size, no, mm. definitely not. No. Can't, can't go telling people what to do and how to behave. That's not the no. government's job. Well, yeah, exactly. And no. This stuff gets really gross as well. Um, here in London, around student accommodation, a lot of the time, because they mm. will make they'll make things that would be considered unlivable, even in a disgusting shoebox like this dude is living in. Um, they will make it legal for student accommodation because they'll go, oh, well, kids don't live there all the time. So it'll be like windows that can't open or that are blocked. And It's also know. it's also because students are basically subhuman. I mean, exactly. we, we all know it. Th- this country just hates, hates, hates young people, you know. Oh, and like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, tangent. Sorry about it's that. some good shit. No, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's like that, um, that fucking thing they're going to build at the university in L.A., where like the rooms mm. don't oh, the have cube. windows, ah, the, the cube, fucking, yep, the, the giant <laughs> tomb for some billionaire who's gonna like, do you know what I mean? Get yeah. all the students in there and then gas the, them all so they join them in the afterlife as a servant or something. <laughs> like, I assume this is the uh, the tungsten apartment cube or something. <laughs> uh, so back to back to this hill, uh, the thirty-seven square meter, uh, like I was saying, the standard isn't mandatory. Councils are now allowed to do some sort I'm, of kind I'm of. I'm just picturing if they made that like oh, 37 square meters mandatory. Everyone's everyone's ceiling would be like two foot off the ground suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you f- will all be living in somebody's crawl space. I mean, that is yeah. where Britain belongs. <laughs> ah, if you, you only want- specified two dimensions, not three. You fools! <laughs> <laughs> if you want an indication of how widespread this is at the moment. Uh, between 2011 and 2021, as many as 1 in 15 flats in London alone fell below the national minimum standard of 37 square metres. But, one David, I don't understand this. I thought the the UK's great councils and London's councils, known for their probity and their care for their residents, would certainly look after this. I mean, have you ever seen a I fucking mean, British councillor? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. But how how can we call this a minimum standard if it's not a standard? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a recommendation. recommendation. Yeah, it's a recommendation. <laughs> like fucking, oh, d- please don't do this. It is too small. No, I'm going to do it anyway. 
Oh, well, I mean, on your way then. I mean, we're let's call, talk about. We call Great Britain great, so I don't see what the problem <laughs> is. You know what I mean? mean? I think also on... actually have to mean things. I think on this, you really have to go. It's like full flight of the Concords. I'm gonna do it anyway. It's like, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Shout out, shout out to the most beautiful girl in the room. That's right. I've updated none of my references since 2007, and I never will. <laughs> the Germ- the Germans have the right idea. They call this place Gross Britannian. So yeah, you know, true. Mm. 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 Well, Barrett, as in Barrett oh, Holmes, great. have recently become the first major house builder to launch pocket-sized apartments in Harrow, That's not a North thing. West London. It's not a thing. Wait for it, wait for it. Branded Smurt Homes. Excuse me? <laughs> Homer Simpson, is that fucking you? <laughs> SMRT Homes. <laughs> It is selling 123 apartments off-plan at the former Kodak factory in Eastman Village, mainly one-bed flats with larger two-bed ones also available. Designed with built-in cupboards and wardrobes, slimmer kitchen worktops. Yeah, I bet they <laughs> are. Oh my god. Shelves. You, you guys, you, I bet you fucking love galley kitchens, don't you, you motherfuckers? Well, get a load of this shit. It's like a, mm. like a, fucking, it's a fucking galley kitchen, but you have to, like, move... Each side in and out of the wall in order to get like oh yeah full all your shit out yeah, yeah if, you, if you want to like <clears throat> chop a salad or something you have to I don't know make the bed and put a piece of wood on it or something first well good news here the one bed flats measure about thirty seven square meters oh, about cool. doing some amount of lifting there uh, which as we know is the minimum standard great fine done sorted. Joseph Antianazi, that uh, name okay. rings a bell for some reason, I, I can't place why, uh, senior sales manager at Barrett London says they are aimed at the Instagram generation, young people who commute into London. What, what the fuck okay. does that mean? In the first place, no young people commute into London. Like, it just, f- fuck off, we all live here, and I'm not even young people. And in the second place, in the second place with that, it's like... You get that no one has to commute anymore, right? Like you get that the old world is dying. You know the new one is struggling to before to be born, and this is the time of monsters, which is why you're selling. <laughs> this is the time of smurt apartments, and that's why you're selling these terrible smurt apartments. That's one of the monsters. I believe that it's referred to in the Book of Revelation. You know, like it's the, before the lashing tail of the dragon, it brings down the, the smurt. I just want to say, I just want to say, as someone a formerly young person, as of as of yesterday when I turned thirty, uh, I did in fact commute into London for like a year or so and I want to punch this man in the face yep. mm. <laughs> are you not part of the Instagram generation then Alistair I've literally never create, never logged into Instagram <laughs> I will never log into Instagram he says I will never log onto Instagram I really hate it when my smart apartment has no room for my pale horse <laughs> <laughs> so I mean this, this has all sounded quite out of character for this podcast because this has all been very London centric good news though if the houses take off, Barrett plans to roll them out across the UK. Woo! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a buyer taking advantage of the government's Help to Buy programme, which runs until March 2023, would need to earn oh, about £40,000 a year to buy a one-bed flat. So Good. Like, give or take uh, great. 1000 okay. quid per square metre. And the rest of us can yep. just live in skips, I guess. Mm. Have you seen the rent on those things? It's outrageous. Probably. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Steal a skip and live in it, yeah. Have, have, yeah. have you tried Instagramming your skip, though? They would so... so it, 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 bear in mind, this reads like fucking ad copy already. 
but mm-hmm. it goes on, they would suit a single person or perhaps a couple, quote, if you really like the person. <laughs> says Neil Hudson who's an honest yeah just, just top Fuck into this yeah. fucking coffin sized room with your with your partner and I'm sure nothing problematic will occur gonna, in the ensuing this, unfortunately years. in order to get more than one person in this room you have to be penetrating each other in several ways at all times so it's really more of a lifestyle choice the, mo- the most annoying one of those is nose in mouth <laughs> <laughs> This, these smart apartments would perhaps suit a single person or perhaps a conjoined twin. What's, um, what's so smart about these apartments, though, anyway? <laughs> they left the oh. A out. They have a website Can or some you, like, shit. unlock them with your phone yeah. or something? Yeah. You have to, yeah do, you have to do quests on, before you can unlock the, the shelf or the oven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, he goes on to say, there will be demand for this, and it's got to be attractive to first-time buyers. There will be demand for this. <laughs> Yeah. We will make you demand these things. There are a lot of people <laughs> who'd rather have a micro flat than live in a shared house. Nope. The problems are bad, but the causes are very good. Do you know what a lot of people would rather live in than a fucking shared house? A regular sized flat. Yeah. Mm. They just want the- crazy, crazy fucking idea. Yeah, but you can't put those on Instagram, Alistair. Jesus Christ. I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, it won't fit in the fucking picture, will it? <laughs> so back to back to the flats the flats um in harrow start at two hundred and eighty-five thousand pounds which Ooh. sounds terrible but when you consider that it's cheaper <laughs> than the average three hundred and twenty-two thousand, um you know or, or even like the, the greater london cost of five hundred and ten thousand, it's not bad that's that's, that's a good deal look, that's a go. really good deal look i just yeah. want to at this point i've waited i've waited until the end i want to tell you guys a little story do you know smrt is a word in czech <laughs> smart would you would you like Excellent. to know what smart means in czech i would love to know death <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there you guys. go <laughs> no, no, beautiful. No checks were, you know, asked to comment on what, what. What shall we name? What shall we name this house? Oh, I was thinking death. Like, mm-hmm, great, but yeah, yeah. This is going to be really nice. Like, you, you, you pick up somebody in a pub, and it's like, do you want to come with me to my pre-coffin? That's, that's <laughs> exactly. Gonna be great. It's good. It's good shit. You know. I mean, that's where the savings come from because you don't have to buy a coffin afterwards. Ah, there you go. Just uh, bury me in my golden, you know, tiny, <laughs> tiny little coffin. <laughs> yeah. Again, like I think this is this is like that that cube thing we were just talking about. Everybody who lives in these things is just going to be a slave in the afterlife to shareholders of Barrett homes. I think that's re- that's how yeah, this is going to work out. Yeah. Well, well, actually, no, they won't because they don't expect people to buy these and then live in them. Are they expected to be buy to let? Because oh, that yeah, would be yeah, my yeah. answer. They, yeah, they say that the, the micro homes should be for rent rather than for sale, as they are oh, very pff. much designed for a short period of someone's life. Yeah, and I the, bet they are. Yeah, and the guy here <laughs> is concerned that people end up being stuck in this, possibly even with a family. It would be huh. better, he says, to buy a home that you can live in for a long period so you can ride out any boom and bust. Simple. Mm-hmm. If, I, if, I, if I needed to live in a permanent home, I would simply buy a £500,000 house. Yeah, why don't you just do that, mm-hmm. Alistair? Jesus yeah. Christ. Should have should have thought of that before now. I'm reminded of that uh, episode we did with uh, We Don't Talk About the Weather when we talked about Sean Bailey's campaign, and he said, yeah, the way the homeless can get off the streets is to save for an apartment. I hate, like I hate everyone in the world. 
but same. <laughs> You're on the right podcast, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it that this is just like right. The answer to this is just make the apartment smaller and the- cram people in there like fucking sardines and not you know mm. guillotines. Do what Spain is doing or do what you know Berlin is doing and just like wipe out the landlord class because they are parasites. Yeah, I mean yeah, the the trouble. Guillotines. I mean the trouble is, I think specifically in the UK, one of the issues that we have is that um, landlordism goes back so far in in our history generally because you know we never had a proper revolution. We never got rid of the monarchy. So really, land ownership is still concentrated in the same you know hands of the noble class as it ever has been. And landlordism is conceived of as absolutely... You know, we, we kind of have like landlord realism. It's easier to, <laughs> to oh, imagine the end of the that's world. That's the most depressing thing I've heard all day, landlord realism. But I mean, this is, this is where we're at, right? And you know, you, you see it with like the freehold and the leasehold systems here. No other country has that. It's just us. Mm. And it, it's yeah. absolutely bizarre, and it, it's why you see things like these tiny little rabbit hutches being sold, and it's why you see things like them refusing to get a bill through Parliament that would make you have to have your house be livable before you rented it out. You know, they're the group of people who have power in this country. Their power is still tied specifically to controlling land, and it has ever been so. So, you know, not to get too many. And that's why we can't change it. Nope. Because uh, it turns out things are good if they've been happening for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, land, landlord, first first there was a landlord, and then there was the land, and then there was the house that was built on the land, and that's just the circle of life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So I think that'll probably do us here for the uh, housing section of this. But talking about fucked up land ownership and all of the other fun attachments to it, Rob, you wanted to talk about farming tonight. I did want to talk about farming. I've wanted to talk about farming for a while. Fuck and yeah. then, you know, Eleanor, I lo- this is why I dragged you on, because I know your your love of all things land and peasant related. So I thought we would talk about uh, I'm the UK's... Just, um, I'm shocked that we moved off the news without talking about how deed the queen is for once. Uh, I mean, <laughs> she did right, are, are though. We, she are did. we growing as people? Like, <laughs> I really wanted her to make it till June, though, because I wanted them. I, I, yes, bank holiday, yeah. then she can, like, do whatever she and likes. Then, and then if she dies after that, that'll be sweet because they'll probably give us a day off for her dying, too. So that'd be good. You know, I'm supposed it. to get two days off, actually. You get one when she dies and then another one for the funeral. Yeah, I'll be fucking crying <sighs> into my pint. <laughs> <laughs> the pubs will be shy out of respect. It's going to be she hell. supposed to, like, rock up to the, to the cenotaph or something uh, last week? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she sprained her back, and then not long after that, they said, right, she's not doing anything for the rest of the year. Probably all, yeah. the, yeah. all the athletic sex she's been having in her new single period. <laughs> I'm just, I really am, I really am just looking forward to the day that we, like, it is officially confirmed that the Queen is dead, and David just picks up the big red phone that he's got in his flat and uh, just calls all of us at the same time for the emergency, like, raucous <laughs> laughter episode that we're going to be recording. I've already had to schedule this in with my partner partner and say like at some point i am going to just get up and leave uh, you need to deal with it when it happens <laughs> david receives a phone call at 2 a.m and just disappears into the night yeah i mean first first they call the cabinet office and then they call david to say london bridge is down because of the emergency podcast yeah, system. D- david we're gonna record this fucking episode before the fucking flag gets ra- get ra- gets raised <laughs> I'm just picturing, I'm picturing that scene from the start of Chernobyl where the guy like gets the phone call in the middle of the night and he's like, "What? No, if I'm up, they're up." You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> anyway, oh, anyway, 
let's talk about some farming now that we've, we've yeah, done the mandatory speak about, about the Queen bit. Peasants, yeah. peasants, 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 peasants. Um, I want to talk about it because this is another one of these sort of structural changes that's going on in the UK right now that nobody ever seems to really talk about. Um, you know, and I hope it's, Elena, I, I'm going to do my best to make it somewhat less depressing than the fishing thing I dragged you on to last, <laughs> I love last it. time. I love, I love being brought on to like the Peasant and Magna Carta podcasts, respectively. That's fine with me. <laughs> so, yeah, if you, play, if you play this podcast outside of your shop, you don't have to obey COVID regulations. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> this is the one podcast with fringes on it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, so, like, what with all the shortages and the supply chain issues and the pork, the pigs being killed on the farm and stuff, um, I thought we should talk a little bit about farming in the UK. Um, and the reason I want to do that is because at the end of last year, mostly without pretty much any of the major papers really talking about it, uh, the new UK farm bill passed into, into law. And that's the thing that's going to replace... Um, the common agricultural policy that obviously the UK is no longer part of because that was part of the European Union. So I thought for the rest of the episode, we should look a little bit about some of the structural issues facing UK farming, uh, some of the issues around farm labor as well, and how the new farm bill essentially is aimed at making things better. But question is, is it of course going to? And spoiler alert, probably it's not going to do any of those things. That's right. Uh, so first, like before we start talking about the new stuff, a little bit of a quick overview or as quick as i can be which is never quick so just settle in you know pour yourself a drink um to talk about some of the structural farming structural problems with farming in the uk that have really existed for for a very long time as is um the first thing is you have to realize that agriculture much like fishing is an incredibly small percentage of the uk industry of the uk gdp it hovers about 0.6 percent depending on which year but the critical thing is it makes up like 70 percent of the of the landscape of the united kingdom is farmed which makes it incredibly important for like bigger societal goals uh food of course first uh soil maintenance climate biodiversity being able to go outside for a walk all that jazz. It really is quite important. The second thing is farming is like farmers are rich in terms of that the land they have, if they own it, is quite valuable, but they're very cash poor. Um, average farm income, but really split up between different sectors, is between 40 and 50,000 pounds per year. Um, but they're allowed to sh they're allowed to shoot your dog, so it balances out. Oh, that's fine then. <laughs> they also have a license to murder bad badgers, but that's a different story again. Um, that, however, that forty to fifty k a year is average farm income, and I'm thinking that's probably like before taxes, before depreciation, all that stuff, and just I like assume in, I assume that they all get issued kimonos then. Definitely, <laughs> but like just to put it a little bit into into context, um, if you're a farmer on like a reasonably sized farm and you want to buy a top of the line large tractor depending a bit on on the specialization and the stuff you add onto it it can cost up to a hundred thousand pounds so easily like double your farm income yeah. uh, that's before you've paid yourself but, a salary and anything along that line but you've got to you've got to appreciate that that tractor will last you at least 18 months before like you know you need to pay for a firmware update or some <laughs> shit uh, yeah 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 well if, if it's a john deere tractor you may be locked into very specific maintenance contracts where if you decide to fix anything like on your own just with a spanner that would void the entire warranty of the tractor because you have to bring it into a john deere approved shop um 
So you know that's kind of a thing that that we that's oh, fucking a love a racket. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's going to be the real the real cyberpunk future is like do you know what I mean? Like unlicensed mechanics, just like fixing your fucking tractor or whatever. <laughs> oh god! Hack, if it have to get have to get the local net runner in to hack the fucking mainframe yeah, on your uh, on your combine harvester. It's like uh, Brazil, right? When uh, Tuttle yeah, with the the guy, yeah, comes in and fixes your aircon for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you end up getting tortured. <laughs> but this is of course i'm talking about farmers if you're a farm worker uh life is significantly shittier um the average income for a farm worker um is about twenty-one thousand pounds a year which for average is out to about 1700 odd pounds a month or 450 quid a week for uh these are numbers from the ft which for incredibly hard back-breaking labor and um, that's especially that's, uh, relevant because pre-tax yes <laughs> yes, that's pre-tax, that's pre-everything. So that's just your your gross um, income. And one of the most important things in terms of farm labor that happened over the last couple of years is the things that are labor intensive. You have to think like fruit and veg stuff that needs to get physically p- picked by a person mm. um, off, the, off the field. It's not like wheat threshing and that kind of stuff. That's all being uh, automated. Um, and the important thing is, it used to be up until the 70s or 80s, I can't remember, that used to be just like you'd just get a flat hourly rate. Um, as long as you picked reasonably, like you would just be fine. But now um, that's been shifted to a what's known as a pick rate, i.e. you, on, you only get paid the minimum wage uh, if you pick a certain mm-hmm. number of kilograms or, or whatever per hour. I so, fucking love a KPI. Well, I think that <laughs> this is a really important thing to focus on too, because you know there was that slew of articles a couple of weeks ago being like, "Why aren't more Britons picking vegetables? You get paid yeah. up mm. to thirty quid an hour." And it's like you get paid thirty quid an hour if you are one of the best in the game at doing broccoli crowns. You know all of the tricks of the trade, and you are just on a level that none of us ever understand. And it takes years upon years to get skilled enough. To to do that and it's like you don't get paid 30 quid for toddling down there like you know that idiot from the telegraph or whatever it was did and just does my yeah. head in you know ah sorry yeah <laughs> i'm just mad about it no no, I, no you're, you're I, this kind right. of, I was gonna say this kind of all falls under the guise of this all being like you know unskilled labor mm. when it's obviously like incredibly skilled like as you say like years and years of back-breaking work to be to be able to achieve like the top rate of 30 quid now, which is, on its face, a reasonable amount of pay, but when you consider the amount of fucking skills that you need to learn, yeah. uh, it's, it's the same as the fucking, um, like, you know, HGV drivers. It's the exact yeah, same thing. Exactly. It's exactly the same thing. And the way, of course, that we did it before Brexit was we would just import a load of farm workers every year for seasonal labor, mainly from Eastern Europe. And then we would demonize them while they were here because they wouldn't integrate into the community, quote unquote. And then we would kick them out at the end of the season, house them in leaky caravans. And then they would go home because they would earn more than the minimum income in Poland. You know, not that that's a great thing to brag about. Just British things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And Alan, it's good that you brought it up because like if you remember last year as well, there was this campaign called Pick for Britain. To recruit oh, like British off. farm workers, you remember that, <laughs> yeah, that story? And I, and I, no, I shan't. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that was a complete failure for many reasons, but the FT had some good numbers on it. Uh, in the end, they only had fifteen thousand applicants, 
uh, of which only 450 were placed on an actual farm job. So they started the season on a farm. Uh, of which of those 450, less than 18 still was doing the job at the end of the farm season. A so, resounding campaign success. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much was paid for that uh, Yeah, well, campaign. we just need to go forward with that Tory lads uh, idea that, like, you know, prisoners and the homeless and welfare claimants should all have to, like, uh, pick fruit. Yeah, I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised if, like, chain gang labor came back to, like, sort some of this shit out. And essentially, this comes to the heart of a very <laughs> fundamental problem. Oh, with... capital- we love to see capitalism going back to its fucking roots, don't we? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the very fundamental problems that's inherent in certainly in modern farming, it's in the UK, but it's, it's essentially everywhere, um, is people and certainly the, the political system want food to be as cheap as possible because cheap food means people aren't hungry, which means they don't riot. Uh, of course, farmers on the other hand want higher prices because they want a good income and a future for their farm and their business. And that contradiction has never been resolved and has certainly gotten worse because of, you know, unhinged capitalism, certainly in the form of like supermarket price wars, you know, Tesco and Lidl and Aldi are like fighting it out every time to like make the chicken cheaper or make the potatoes cheaper or whatever. And like, I'm glad that people can eat for a low price, right? I'm I'm very glad for that. But you do have to factor in that like, if your whole chicken costs like a quid or two, that chicken's been... Uh, raised, transported, plucked, butchered, transported again, put into your supermarket. So, like, imagine the margins that farming operates on. Uh, And that's really, like, a very core problem Mm. facing the UK farm industry. Uh, Another one... So, yeah, another big problem is, is, like, farming is old because, as you can imagine, like we've been talking about, no young person in their right mind wants to get into farming. Like, wh- why would yeah. you, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, it's because you know, it's because uh, we're all what? busy on the Instagram, on Instagram, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone wants to be influencer. Uh, it would, ch- kids these days uh, care more for Instagram influence than repairing farmyard fence. Damn. Hey. <laughs> Damn. But I mean, also there are good reasons for it. You know, one of you know. Uh, one of the things about uh, being a farmer is that it is one of the professions that has the highest suicide rate of any other yep. Pro- yep. profession because it's absolutely backbreaking and it's constant. Like you can never stop working. You can you can essentially never take a break. That's that's really part of farm life. Uh, is it's just it really is twenty four seven. And one of the things that of course has happened as a result of all of these factors coming together is that um, certainly the smaller farm in the UK is disappearing um, quite rapidly. Uh, 35% of all farms disappeared between 2005 and 2016, according to the FT. It's really hard to find like good numbers because it depends on how you define what is a farm and stuff. Um, but there are between 100,000 and 120,000 fu- full-time farmers left in the UK. I, it, that would be my guess. It may be a bit more, but it's not that much more than that, I would say. Uh, so that makes it also an incredibly small constituency that, of course, finds it really difficult to have a political voice because literally there's not enough. Like, even if you put all the farmers together in, like, one uh, constituency, maybe they will be able to outweigh the rest of the population, but maybe not. Like, if they're in the same constituency as a reasonable-sized city, they would still be vastly outnumbered by city dwellers. 
Have so they ever considered really... like collectivizing maybe the farms? <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, once again, uh, again, I don't want to do another fishing episode, but thank you to the <laughs> European <laughs> Union um, because under European Union um, anti um, anti cartel laws, essentially, uh, farmers were not allowed to band together and set prices collectively because that would be cartel forming. So farmers would, by law, have to negotiate one-on-one with Tesco buyers, essentially. Mm. And you can imagine how well that goes. Right. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a really difficult one because it. I think, you know, wage suppression and stagnation in this country is, is such that, you know, one of the only reasons we're kind of able to enjoy the fairly all right lifestyle that a lot of us are. I mean, I'm from America, so, you know, obviously. The, the treats. Yeah, it's the, the, the treats. The treats yeah. Is that the treats are inexpensive. So, you know, we can go to the grocery store and a pound goes a fairly long way, all things considered. And if you take that off the menu, then where, where the fuck are we, you know? Yeah. I mean, it it I to, in my mind like if you want to, and we'll get we'll get into like what the solutions are and stuff in a little bit. But like in my mind, it's it, if you want to keep like a viable farm system that looks after the environment and all that and all that stuff, you would probably need to at least double the price of food. And the only way you're going to ever be able to do that is if you double the minimum wage at the same time. So like the percentage spend on food for on your income stay the same but then you know you have to double the minimum wage and you know how likely is that essentially sounds good let's do it <laughs> i mean yeah i mean I, I i'm all for it but you know it's uh, it's it's not easy and it, it is going to get I mean, harder because- you could balance you could balance that if you doubled the minimum wage but killed half of the workers fucking <laughs> 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 christ <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, another I'd another pandemic killing the pool. Just just put it in there. See how it goes. Yeah, yeah. a modest proposal. <laughs> just it, I'm just I'm just uh, looking ahead for the, the the next like inevitable Tory Lib Dem coalition. Mm. <laughs> Kill half of all workers in exchange for another ten p on plastic bags. <laughs> kill kill a, a tenth of all workers, but you don't have to get a visa to go skiing. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like, apart from a certain, you know, unless we do like full-on Malthusian answers to to these kinds of problems, there is like a, a this this stuff is really structural and it's it's very slow moving. But you know, like we've seen recently, we talked about it on previous podcasts, like the stuff where all of a sudden was short on slaughterhouse workers and vets so 120,000 pigs have to like get culled um all of this is like very much inter- interrelated with what's going on in 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 the farming industry and in in, in the farms itself um the things that that m- makes it worse is of course politics because certainly our politics makes everything uh worse and and specifically what what makes it a lot worse is um defra the uh government ministry responsible for farming and the environment mm. it feels like it feels like every time uh, we ever mention defra on this podcast it's just good things ensue well managed uh like policy across the, like whatever whatever the subject matter is aren't they just like the ministry for bolt guns yeah <laughs> every time much, i ever hear yeah. about them it's because they're out like fucking massacring some like for some strain of beast that's right <laughs> shout out to geronimo yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, we've had, we've had enough of the fucking alpacas Morning this week. Morning till I join you, my gone. homie. Love you, Geronimo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've certainly on this podcast shit a number of times on DEFRA, and that's for good reasons. Um, to prepare for this podcast, I talked to a friend of mine who's been working in UK ag politics for a really long time, and... Uh, they said, like, the DEFRA has no institutional knowledge, no real knowledge of the farming industry, not enough experienced staff. Uh, any good staff is immediately moved around to different ministries. And that means that the people they do listen to tend to be the big ag industry and other players that may not always have. Oh, the I get it. I get it. It's the exact same approach that the media takes to, like, reporting. It's like you, you don't put people in like the top positions because they know anything they you put those them in the positions because they'll just take a fucking press release mm -hmm. read it verbatim and then move on to the next thing and that's so just substitute uh fucking a press release for whatever you know big agricultural interests want and you know it's interchangeable excellent we love we love the neoliberal mod economic model yeah, I mean the the way you can you can really see it is just to look at who's who's been in charge of DEFRA for the last decade. Uh, so this is in a row. Uh, it was Owen Patterson, you may remember from last week's <laughs> episode. Uh, then it was Liz Truss, she of the famous uh, uh, cheese speech. This was when she was DEFRA secretary, pork by the way. No, let's not also let's also not forget pork markets. Pork markets as well, yeah. Um, then it was Andrea Leadsom, also oh, another great intellectual man. talent. This is just this is just a fucking. <laughs> cavalcade of genius Whoa. right here isn't it <laughs> uh then it was michael gove um Fuck who, me. From, from everything i heard about what is weirdly interested in farming and like the the landscape as a broader thing but it's still michael gove so you know so get fucked. um <laughs> yeah he, he's very yeah. interested in in landscapes mountains and madness etc michael gove <laughs> did a very good job at defra for michael gove yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and really, isn't uh, that as well? Didn't Defra only like surface in like the the early two thousands as well? Wasn't it? It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was before you had a. It's, like, it's basically our our version of the uh, Department for Homeland Security. They, they just like <laughs> sprouted up in response to nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it, it, it's like fortunate, really, because imagine if we'd had Defra as far back as the eighties, and they were like having to go out and like murder Bernie Clifton's ostrich or something like that. <laughs> If you think about it, BSE was the British 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's not a bad way of putting it, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, then it was Teresa Villiers, who is also fucking wild, wild incompetent. And now it's George Eustace, who is also just not... He's just not I've never good. heard of those last two fuckers. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Making I mean, waves. But this is kind of the point of, like, DEFRA. Like, DEFRA is either, like, where you put somebody who needs to be put in a bigger job later because they're, like, relevant to some part of the Tory constituency, or when you've run out of those people, you just put in a numpty. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, but, I mean, those last those last two are total no-marks. It's a real downstep from Michael Gove. It's like, like, Van... It's like later, later Van Halen tours, do you know what I mean? When they just don't have enough of the original lineup for you to care. <laughs> <laughs> was um, was Villiers there before or after she was like Northern Ireland secretary? Because that's another fucking no mark job that they just need to fill. Wasn't she the one who gave an interview about Northern Ireland and said, I can't believe people vote along factional lines here? I didn't know that before I took that this job. That sounds familiar, yes. Ah! <laughs> 
I think that was her. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Fucking yeah. Hell. So, right. So essentially, in response to these many, many big structural problems we've been talking about, um, we have now the UK Farm Bill, and that's meant to replace the EU's common agricultural policy with all its attendant rules and regulations as well as its payment systems. Because if you didn't know, um, I think in the UK, the common agricultural policy paid for, depending on which sector you're in, between 30 and 60% of farm income came directly from European farm subsidies. Yeah. Uh, so the, the one thing, that, and that's the big thing we still don't know, is what the budget will be for the farm bill when it comes into full effect. Uh, we have no idea Fuck whether or not all, it will probably. <laughs> yes, that that's the, the very the farmers, best. The farmers did their fucking patriotic duty by voting for Brexit. Um, they can get fucked if they think they're getting handouts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, again, Eleanor, I didn't want to bring you back on the fishing episodes, but these are some <laughs> familiar Woo! themes. Ooh, uh, if oh you... <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's just like completely. This, what if? But what if we did it for farms? Uh? uh, uh yeah. Right? <laughs> um. So. The the budget is fixed at what they what we got from Europe before for this Parliament. Mm -hmm. In the next Parliament, it's question mark question mark. I've just um, I've just I've just reminded myself of the eel paperwork guy, and I can't stop smiling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just, the phrase eel paperwork just brings me joy. Do you know what I mean? So, a friend of mine, uh, kind of like right after the referendum, was hiking up in Northumbria, and she was staying on a farm, and it was kind of like um like you you kind of ate with the family or whatever thing and they all kind of sat down to dinner yeah, yeah. and the the wife was like right how did everyone vote in the referendum we voted brexit and they were all kind of like oh word you know like being polite and she was like yeah because you know right now the eu they subsidize us to keep some of our fields like naturalized or whatever and instead we could be using them profitably profitably in all these other ways and my mate was like C -c couldn't you just do that if you felt like it i don't I don't get it. Like, the EU isn't forcing you to take those <laughs> subsidies. And now it's like, whoo, you know? Like, I'm just saying. I, I, I very much thought about this when reading the FT today. I don't know. Are you, are you expecting someone to say no to money? I mean, well, I... And, <laughs> just, it's impossible. It's like, it literally cannot be done. I... <laughs> Do not. I'd, I personally would simply take this money uh, and have a nice field. Thanks very mm. much. Like I don't understand what the problem is here, but apparently there was one, and I think it has something to do with oh. nationalism. But you know. Also, a, path a pathology of this country is the need to complain about something, even if it's something that is actually beneficial to you. No, no, no. It's not even just that. It's, they weren't even thinking about it being beneficial to them. It's there are other farmers who are getting free money and not putting in real yeah. work that's what it is it's other people are getting free shit and they shouldn't be even if they're also getting the free shit they just won't think of it as the same thing it's the british disease well, I mean, if, if you really want me to drag this into like a five-hour episode i can do a whole line about what's wrong with the common agricultural policy and why british farmers had some point when they said we're sick of europe and the way they interfere with our farming systems but well, i think well, we can I feel like, that, that. rob i think you'll find that we said we're sick of europe so we shan't be doing that Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I, to save you all from that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, to be absolutely clear, I don't think anyone on this podcast would say that Europe is perfect by any fucking stretch. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so essentially, the biggest shift is under the European Union system, you would get a certain fixed amount of money 
per hectare. So just the more land you had, the more money you got up to a certain ceiling, but you could get around that ceiling quite easily if you wanted to. Um, that's a very brief summary. The the new way this is going to work is you're no longer going to get paid by the hectare or by the acre, but for performance. And by performance, they... Oh, farm KPIs! Farm KPIs! Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> are they going to gamify farming? Is that what this is? <laughs> up to yeah, it's called point, Farmville, Jamie. Might, Keep yeah. up. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you again to get off my fucking lawn, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so essentially, they're going to measure farmers' performance, and when air and water quality improves, there's more wildlife, the soil is better, there's less erosion, there's better flood management, all that stuff. Like, if you do more of that, you get more money. But we don't know what the budget is, so we don't know you know whether or not it's actually worth it to do more or rather to just let your have land they, go have they considered paying everyone in like a cryptocurrency <laughs> and then they, they just don't they don't need to have it because it's just fictional do you know what i mean oh, you, can get, you can get mario coins right maybe if you maybe if you buy mario to drive your tractor your farm will perform better than every other farm <laughs> think of all the mushrooms <laughs> So essentially, that's that's like one angle of it is it's a pay for certainly environmental performance under like a broader theory uh, that's in the environmental farm world, which is called public money for public goods, i.e. you only get taxpayer money or if you you're know what, an going to I see where this is going to end up. They're going to get like fucking some dipshit and put them in charge of DEFRA and and then it's gonna, the future is going to be cyber farming. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we can't find we can't find enough people, British or otherwise, to pick the turnips. So we're gonna get one of those dogs with a fucking railgun mounted on it. You know, they're like robot dogs. <laughs> when he says, and it's yeah. just gonna it's just gonna shoot the turnips out of the fucking ground. You know what I mean? Cyber farming just sounds to me like some kind of weird internet perversion. Sorry, that's just I mean, it, mm. it would be a very yeah. British thing if our Skynet started with like the farm robots revolting, like a bot Tyler, but. A cyber what, Tyler, if you will. Um, okay, well, now I'm what in. What cyber? <laughs> um, so the other thing is, like the other tangent is, apart from the environmental stuff, is to what they call improving farm prosperity. Uh, so this mm -hmm. is helping farmers, like, become more efficient and, like, invest in, I don't know, bigger warehouses, more efficient uh, waste removal, that kind of stuff. Um, so that they can be more efficient, efficient actors in the market where they're supposed to be mm. earning their real money. So that is like a whole load of horseshit. <laughs> because it, we've had a lot of experience of this on this show of people just inserting the word efficiency without just you know defining yeah, any betting, of their terms. I'm betting someone involved in the like drafting of this bill has a mate that sells efficiency to farms. Do you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into how, how that is going in a little bit, um, because this is uh, the idea is, and I'll read you from the uh, government's document called The Path to Sustainable Farming. Uh, one of the top line goals is by 2028, all UK farmers will be running sustainable businesses that do not rely on uh, public subsidies. We expect many of you to be out of business by 2028. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, well, I mean, they're setting up for that as well. And again, I don't want to call back to the fishing episode, but if you remember what they did with fishing in the 80s, which was to offer people money to stop 
fishing and I essentially buy the boat and shelve it. Um, they're introducing the exact same thing for farming right now. Um, there's going to be a voluntary one-off retirement payment for farmers that want to get out up to £100,000, um, which is essentially a lump sum of all outstanding payments based on the EU system, um, you know, f- until the age of 65 or however long it is, it's supposed to run. Uh, but it would cap out at approximately £50,000 for the average farmer, according to the FT. So, like, you would just get, like, a one-off payment of £50,000 to quit the farm life and then, I don't know, retire on that. I, I have no Re- idea how that Retrain in cyber, work. obviously. Mm. <laughs> yeah, become a ballerina, a cyber yeah. ballerina. Mm. Um, <laughs> Um, something similar like this, by the way, um, was done in New Zealand like a decade ago or something, uh, which... Well, I'm, I'm going to guess it was done like slightly like better than the British version. No, it was an extremely brutal thing where they just literally was turned it? off the taps on the subsidies from, from day I one mean, to we day two. We haven't seen the British version yet, so... Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, what ha- what ended up happening, again, much like fishing, is that most of the smaller farmers ended up leaving the field and a few players that were left became incredibly huge and monolithic uh, instead. Think James Dyson, who now owns a 3,000 hectare farm uh, somewhere in the UK, I can't remember where. Excellent. Um, can, so, not, but- can, can that cunt not just invent a hoover that picks up turnips? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, physician, heal thyself. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so so that's the glorious future, um, and what we're in right now is the transition period, which is uh, itself comprised of two bits. The first is where we move slowly out of, certainly in terms of money, out of the basic payment system per hectare that you got from Europe, and into this new system of payment for environmental performance, uh, uh, some subsidies for building a bigger barn, some bits and bobs. Uh, on top of that. But again, quoting from my friend at, uh, who, from the UK farming industry, uh, we're still waiting on DEFRA to make some fucking decisions. So, like, there's supposed to be all these small steps that are being done in the way, but they're not really being done in the way. It, like, DEFRA is not making any big decisions where this thing is supposed to go to get to the goals that we, you were intending. And are, Jamie, you, are you saying that, are well, you saying that this got- They're very busy people. They've got foxes to bolt gun. <laughs> Rob, are you saying that this government that famously doesn't like to do anything unless it absolutely fucking has to, or if it's just completely in their own self-interest to do something, they're not they're not taking this like problem head on. They're they're just waiting for something. But I mean, what they are doing, and I'm going to say that this is in general is not a bad idea. If you have to like invent farm policy out of whole cloth is they're running like over a thousand pilot schemes on different farms to like see if we pay for X instead of Y or if we do A instead of B. Um, does it work? Does it work for the farmers? Do we get the performance? So they're running like this huge amount of different trials and schemes to see what works before they roll it out as a national policy. So for <laughs> me, like that in, in and of itself is not a bad idea to, to design something. It feels, as as- feels like that might have been a good idea to do something like that before we actually finished leaving the eu but uh, yeah they just that's that's just me well stop stop talking britain down yeah come on now (laughs) (laughs) we've had enough of experts we've had enough of like you know sense 
We've had enough of eating it up. What about an idiot with a microphone? There's a a time to act and a time to think, and this is no time to think. (laughs) This is a time to do neither, I think you'll find. Yeah. Just easier that way. Sufficient. So, the idea is that because we're transitioning out of the European-style payment schemes and into this environment scheme stuff, uh, these schemes should start paying farmers by 2023, but... From everything I've heard and read about, those most of those schemes are nowhere near ready and will probably not be ready by have 22. They have they considered using an app to speed things up? You know what I mean? Like Fiverr, but for root vegetables. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. <laughs> Tuba, but without the E. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, in the meantime, while we're still like figuring out the baby steps to get to the sunlit uplands of the new farm policy, um, the basic payments, so like the, the, the money that the farmers are getting, uh, are already being cut by like 15%, 20% or more every year. Uh, these cuts are like cumulative. So um, from last year to 2027, um, the basic payments, like the, the actual subsidies that actual farmers actually get, are being cut literally to just about zero by the end of 2027. But by 2024, these the new scheme should like kick in so farmers can like seamlessly transition from A into B and, you know, it doesn't become seamlessly, a gigantic you say. clusterfuck. Uh, yes. Seamlessly. Well, With no it's, problems. It, it's a good money, idea, right? Like fucking methadone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So just to give you an idea what in terms of the environmental stuff what what's happening like right now before all these magical new schemes are supposed to kick in is um, everything on, on fire uh well i mean we're we're creating the conditions to set everything on fire oh god oh, good well it's a good job there's nothing's on fire then that's what i expect when i hear the word when you hear, hear the word environmental these days mm. do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so under the old eu system there was a a thing called uh, cross compliance that said if you're not adhering to like basic standards of good practices and not you know dumping sewage into the water um then you get a penalty on your uh subsidy is so that, that- uh, is that shit going right in the bin <laughs> um so what we've done this year or in 2020 i can't remember uh, alone is to cut the link between the demands on performance and the payments yes. you get mm. yeah um, and instead of doing that, which was seen by UK farmers and certainly by UK farm lobbyists as um, gross penalties, you know, yeah, that was you would it, get was it for... nothing short of communism? Quite it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what we used to replace that system of, of penalties, which to be fair didn't work great in the first place, uh, is um, and I'm is, quoting again from the Path to Sustainable is, is Farming. The, is the quote you're about to about to read out? Do what you fucking want. Do you know what uh, I mean? Is it that? Near enough. It is uh, the British government will do better communication. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad this is just all a um, a communications issue and not like a material structural issue that's been essentially having to be dealt with now that we've decided to just completely upheave like our entire like political process by what, leaving the EU. What counts as better communication? Is it like? A proprietary email system that all farmers need to sign up to. 
So they can megaphone. Tube not log on it's and get their emails. Tube, it's the it's Alistair's Tuber app, I think. Uh, <laughs> Why is that app Alistair's? That was the one that came up. I with. named it. Oh, so ah. it's just like Facebook all over again, is it? Have I, have I been fucking gazumped out of my own invention? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> fucking Instagram generation, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like with all this stuff, like the headline goals, as long as you don't dig too deep, it sounds like not a bad idea. And and for most of the coverage that I've read, uh, certainly in the Guardian and the FT, like the FT does a better job because the FT always does a better job. But like none of this is really examined in like really great detail. And one of the key things that's like going to fuck over a lot of farmers is um, what we're already doing right now, which is trade agreements. Um, We've already signed or are about to sign with New Zealand and Australia at the, uh, right now. And that means essentially we are giving them nearly full access to like export their goods. And then you have to speak, think specifically of stuff like lamb and in exchange yep. for the UK financial s- services moving in to um, uh, Canberra and, and Auckland. Uh, it, it's that kind of deal. Uh, of course, like... But they live, sorry, let me try that again. Of course, New Zealand and Australian farmers have very different and I would say somewhat lower standards when it comes to environmental and climate performance Mm. um, than UK farmers are demanded to. So like if you're an upland sheep farmer, like maybe the guys you were visiting in in Northumbria, uh, Eleanor, Mm -hmm. because that's a good chance that they were doing sheep. They're going to get outcompeted by people that don't live according to the same yeah. same standards. And I mean, I find also just you know, side note, other than how depressing it is, and there are certain things that are involved in this as well. So, for example, Australia allows live export of sheep, um, which is you know really considered inhumane by a lot of places. We we aren't allowed to do that. There are all sorts of things along with it. But there's also just a historical thing about this that makes me really sad from a shepherding standpoint because. You know, like the only reason, well, I mean, this godforsaken island was not important during the medieval period. Let me be clear. It never was. It was never important. Uh, but the o- <laughs> but it was extremely important to people alive today. Yeah, but um, one of the things that it did have going for it, and one of the only things it had going for it, was that it was an excellent wool production place. And we grew real good sheep. And like, that's why London became large, is that it was basically a wool export center. And wool is this, you know, important miracle fiber that stays warm even when it's wet, you know, and uh, medieval Europe really ran on it. And it sucks so much because we, I I just like that. I like that it's this one little thing that is still going from the time. And I don't think people really understand how this is going to completely decimate them. And it it simply is, it is, you know. Eh. Yeah, and, and, and among the other things that it could very well fuck over is like, if you imagine, as you can, if you can imagine it, like, it won't take much more for another whole bunch of small farmers to go out of business and then for much larger farms to take over and conglomerate. And one of the things that I still find genuinely beautiful every time I'm there is like the UK countryside because like the, 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 the plots of land, Eleanor, you'll, you'll know this better than us, like they're all quite small mm-hmm. and they're in little bits, but they have all the hedgerows and the stone walls and all that stuff. Like it's very beautiful to look yeah. at and it, it comes from this... You know, like we've never really consolidated to a huge extent farming in the UK, certainly not the land. But if that happens, it like the whole look and feel of the English countryside, like it only takes, I don't know, five or 10 years with a, with a chainsaw and a big bulldozer to make it essentially one giant wheat field 
or a big sheep pasture, you know? Mm, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's really sad because the thing that we think of as kind of like quintessential, quintessential British uh, countryside is that patchwork, all of these tiny little family farms, and this is going to turn us into you know, ranch land. It'll be like, you know, in Australia, yeah. there are cattle farms that are larger than the state of Texas that are owned by one family, you know, and and yeah. that's what we'll be looking at and competing with, you know? Yeah, because like, as I said before, like the, the UK government will expect farms to like no longer be fucking mooches relying on government subsidies. They're supposed to be independent actors who only get some money if they do environmental performance. But what if, and here's just a what if for you, it's much more advantageous for you to dig up everything environmental and plant every last inch of your farm with more wheat so you can produce more for the market and compete in the rat race. That's just a what if for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be honest, if I was the government, I wouldn't really be pissing off the only group of people who are like basically certain to have shotguns. <laughs> uh, another pleasant thing that's happening in the meantime is what they're doing is, this is called delinking because it used to be you would have to be an actual. I think it's called delinker. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 um, in the old system, in the European system, you would have to be an, an active farmer. Like there were certain definitions, like you would have to be actually engaged in farming as your main activity in order to be able to receive subsidies, which makes you sense. Could, you couldn't you couldn't have like a Sunday job on the side or something. Couldn't you? Couldn't yeah. be a passive farmer. Where you just sort of like stand around and let turnips fall into your lap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could be a passive farmer in the sense that you could be the landowner and have other people farm for you, lease out the land, and still catch the subsidies. That that's definitely sorry. That sounds that sounds like job creation. I don't think you should be. Uh, I don't think you should be dissing those people by accusing them of passive farming, Matt. What if what if they what if they went abroad and took all the land with them? Well, then where would we be? <laughs> Um, but what they're doing in this new scheme is they're breaking that link between having to be an actual active farmer and being able to receive subsidies. So now it means that if you are um, uh, Presswick Airport, say, David, or like oh, uh, a, a local council, you could apply and get money from the same pot that farmer, the same smaller pot that farmers are going to get paid out of for environmental performance. So there's going to be more claimants on probably a much smaller pool of money um and in that you could you know like you could include everybody including like shit like grouse farming uh, uh. grouse moor maintenance that kind of shit um so another thing that could very well happen is like because now there's more money in environmental performance is like james dyson could buy up a whole bunch of farmland turn it into a big nature reserve um get a whole bunch more money out of that but not produce more food essentially making the UK more reliable on exports from third countries like Australia or New Zealand with lower environmental welfare standards while the money he makes gets sucked off seas to Singapore, where his company headquarters now is. How do you suck off money anyway? <laughs> if there's any man to ask, it's James Dyson. <laughs> and the other thing that I think will probably happen is because, as I said, DEFRA is run by a bunch of incompetence and the experience level is really low. Um, we've talked about it in, in different fields, but it's going to come back is there's going to be more scams. Uh, the particular one that I'm thinking about is stuff like carbon farming, where you're supposed to be paying farmers to do certain stuff to keep carbon in the soil 
but it's incredibly difficult. It's a whole side topic, but like, suffice to say, it's incredibly difficult to say whether or not anything a farmer is doing is actually keeping carbon in the soil, or we're just doing numbers fucksteen to make carbon credits to sell what if they to. Just dump a load of coal in the soil. Isn't that like mm, keeping carbon? Yeah, there? that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Is how, yeah. What if we just backfill all the coal mines with all the coal we dug out of it? And then, and then you dig it all up again, and then you got to make sure that it's actually still coal, so you can measure how much carbon was down there, and then it's yeah. uh, <laughs> a problem that solved itself. I assume. Yeah, yeah. And then we can turn whatever's left into like a carbon capture and storage site. Another thing that that really works and is a thing, um, unless of course we end up opening that new uh, coal mine in Cumbria that we mentioned on a couple of previous podcasts, which is, I still think is on is possible. Um, so essentially, what I think. If you look at all this and like what's going to happen in the next couple of years, and I try not to do predictions because I think every prediction I've ever made on the podcast has come to naught, but I'm just like, like if you look ahead, you know, like... We can't all be winners, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you look at like how fragile the UK supply chains are, right? And the difficulties we already have with supplying supermarkets right now, um... What if, like, we took a whole bunch more farmers out of the land and made everything else more precarious, more dependent on contract labor, uh, underpaid farm labor, all that stuff? What if we just did that? Because a couple of people would do very, very well out of it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just thinking that that, certainly under this government, is very well possible because nobody's, apart from, again, like, 100 to 150,000 farmers, there's not that many people left that are actually doing this job and they don't have enough of a voice mm-hmm. to like register their concerns properly because mm. they're outcompeted by larger interests. Um, so I think probably like what you're going to see is even more people draining out of the countryside and into the cities, into smirt apartments, um, <laughs> a large increase in scale and like a couple of like smaller farms, but they only make incredibly expensive finished products like cheeses or local hams, like shit, you know, the Cotswolds guy would, would sell you. Um, uh, in, oh, in- the in-between a farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Artisanal light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> Farmers will be fine. Course- Listen, they've got until, until 2028. Between now and then, that's more than five years for them to develop a plan and collectivize. Dead simple. <laughs> um, Just yeah, press you know, the Stalinism button. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, not, nothing went wrong there. And Eleanor, I mean, you you know this much better than I do. Historically, what you know, the countryside is already much an emptier place than it ever than it was before. Oh, yes. Like it just keeps draining. Absolutely. Um, and 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 like I think it's just going to keep on happening. And my question is like, what happens to pretty much any rural community that's not within like an hour's commute of say london or manchester like i mean it's just so hard to say right because you know even now like um one of my uh good friends grew up in kind of rural um uh norfolk and he said you know he was the only kid in his village and, and yeah. that was in the 90s, yeah. you know, and it's just got worse and worse. And, you know, now you, when you go to Norfolk, you, for example, most of the towns and things, especially along the coast, you know, they're just for holiday makers. You know, the, the actual cottages and things are empty unless somebody's on holiday. And so we don't have a real good answer for this because really, 
you know, the great history of the world writ large is a history of, you know, well, first hunter-gathering and then agrarianism. We've only really become an urban species overall just recently, you know, a few uh, years back. Excuse me, excuse me. I think you're also forgetting class struggle. That's Thank right, that's much. right. But what about, <laughs> hey, 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 what about uh, primitive communism, quote-unquote? Anyway, um, <laughs> not get me started. I, have, you know, if you want me to... Have you thought about becoming an anarcho-capitalist? Uh... <laughs> I know the 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 most ridiculous group of humans on the entire planet. I love this. So yeah, it's um it, it's a really depressing one because you know just as a species we don't even really know how to deal with this. Like I mean, the we have never been overall a more urban species until now and so what the hell is going to happen? And I don't think that anyone is really thinking long term about what this could possibly mean. I, I don't think anyone's thinking long term about fucking anything mm, these days. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's basically just like I imagine. I imagine the solution to the, the the problem Rob describes, where like every town and village that isn't within an hour's commute of London is empty, is to just improve, like you know, like well, not improve, but spend more <laughs> money on transport boondoggles so that the entire country is within an hour's commute of London. Mm, mm. You know what I mean? Like people in Scotland being fired by railgun to get to the <laughs> to get to the metropolis Finally. for work every morning. Yeah. We need, we really need to build on this like railgun network that we've posited. I think this is probably the fourth time oh, that we've we brought could this just up. Get, we could get that missile off the Chinese, you know, the one that goes like apparently really fast or some shit. Mm, mm. Just get the just get the spinny thing that yeets you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> More jobs for stout lads. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's mass effect, but as a countryside, it's going to be really good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'll just read you a quote from, uh, from the FT again. This is uh, Professor Michael Winter at Exeter University. Um, when all the farms in the village are farmed by some big farm 10 or 15 miles away, they're not really invested in a place in a community. Uh, they don't get the snow plows out to clear mm -hmm. the lanes when it snows or let their fields for the village festival. All you see is massive machines going up and down the road. Farmers can be some of the few people who live and work in a place as opposed to living there and working elsewhere. And I think, like, I don't know what the answer to this is. Like, I don't, I, I also don't, I don't know. Is it good to pay people to have, like, small, inefficient farms that aren't really doing anything good for the environment? Like, you know, because that's have like we considered. Have we considered just paving everything? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that Joni. Yeah, you need to factorio this shit. That's what we I need to Joni do. I think Joni Mitchell may have had a song about this. <laughs> and and part of what worries me about this is like if you remember that um, I don't know if he still does it, but like Prince Charles had like one of these two like agricultural villages where it was like small farming and it was all kind of cutesy. Do you, it, does this ring any bells, or is it just me who? Are you, are you describing Prince Charles' personal Potemkin village? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been through it? Um, it's uh, fucking wild. Like, uh, look, fucking rich people, man. Yeah. It rings. It rings a vague bell, and all, but all I really want to say is I hope they don't let Prince Andrew have his own fucking village. <laughs> 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 uh, that's just called a nursery, anyway. <laughs> Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say petting zoo, but it's along the same lines. <laughs> um, a heavy so petting like zoo. <laughs> Shout out to NoFX. <laughs> one, of, one of the premier NoFX albums, obviously. <laughs> 
Oh, we're doing so well. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, like, obviously, if there's anything good that maybe could come out of, like, the whole corona thing and the working from home thing is that you could maybe theoretically see, like, a sort of spread out of London away from the smart departments and and into, um, you know, these, these villages that are empty so you could sort of reboost village life and and make these places livable which would hopefully attract like a new generation of, of farmers to to come in there and, and do yeah, the job as, as well as, but... some, as someone who lives in a village i can't wait until i get fucking gentrified to shit and back mm-hmm. just for people yeah. to eat to e-commute to fucking like <laughs> london for the finance industry or some shit yeah it's gonna be great you know what mm-hmm. i mean I'll just go and live in the fucking woods, will I? <laughs> no, it's fine. At that point, your global communication certificate will finally be worth something. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, sneaking I- from farm to farm to like fucking like. Uh, what? What's the fucking? Oh fucking hell! I can't think of the term. Jailbreak. Well- <laughs> Jailbreak the tractors. There we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think always like um, uh, the, the fall of the Roman Empire is like overdetermined and overusing this example. Yeah. But like, you, you do see some of these things where like it's this huge concentration of urban living and like an, an emptying of the countryside replaced by latifundia, big estates, and sl- semi-slave labour. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob, you know, no, I'm sorry. I don't see what I don't see what um, uncontrolled immigration has to do with any of this. <laughs> I, I, I thought, <laughs> damn. I thought like the, there's some guys on YouTube who told me that the fall of the Roman Empire was because women. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm always I'm always uh, surprised to learn what pe- when people think the when the Roman Empire fell and how, considering that it happened, you know, with the fall of Constantinople. But extremely go off, kings. Uh, love that. <laughs> love that for everyone. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know. Like, I don't want to go down that particular route, but I do find you know there's so sort of these echoes that are in the same line, and I don't want to say that it will happen the same way because it won't because history doesn't repeat itself but no you know i i I do think that like we we have to have like a sort of fairly serious conversation about how this will will work and you know like unless we give most of the countryside over to like the national trust if you think that's a good organization to like do environmental stuff with it Mm. like we still have to make food somewhere and you know in the age of in the age of climate breakdown where we are now I think that might be a bit more critical than we just give it credence for now. And like, I, I mean, you know, I don't know where this goes because it's too important, too critical. Well, I mean, I say for it not to go to ruin, but then I remember this is Britain, so it very well might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I wish I had a better answer for for any of this, but obviously... I don't. Um, I do. Shit's fucked. And it starts with a G and ends with a teen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As long as people have necks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we haven't even talked about, like, Britain's weird land ownership relations and, like, the holdovers from the medieval period and the fact that, like, you know, the Duke of Norfolk owns half the fucking countryside or, or the, the, you know, it's in Scotland, David, I know it's even even fucking more bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, also, by the way, all of this stuff that we've been talking about specifically relates to England because uh, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland are now responsible for their own farming systems. So they will have separate farm systems and farm support systems to England, even though it's the same country. And I don't know how that's going to work. 
uh, really, really badly because if they try and do anything akin to what we have now, that money's not going to be there because the money's all represented through the Barnet formula and because it's such a small pool of money that England's going to have for their farms, that'll be translated through to a tiny pool of money for each of the other three countries. Mm-hmm. So, yay! Are you, uh, hmm, I wonder if there'll be any knock-on effects if uh, like farming in Northern Ireland and Wales and Scotland all fall over. I wonder if that have any ramifications. Yeah. I'm, I'm, mean, sure, I'm, sure someone, I'm sure someone no, will deal with that. No, we will just eat whatever fucking imported slop we're given and we'll be thankful for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> we'll all have those those wonderful pink sausages from the, that the DUP guy was holding. Yeah. yeah. We'll always have those. Delicious. <laughs> mm, just refusing to eat anything at all unless it's going to give us a proper disease like BSE. <laughs> back in my day it was good enough for my father these kids today etc etc see i mean this is sort of all i have on this topic because i wish i had like a better conclusion for it but it's just this to me i think this is a really interesting process that's ongoing now and nobody's paying attention i mean you know the farmers unions are and uh, i don't know defra's somewhere dancing around with clown makeup on but i, I don't know anybody else like who's who's interested in this and i think it's just kind of worthwhile to keep an eye on because i don't think it's going to good places since you since you brought defra up again could could we possibly expand their remit so that they could go around taking a bolt gun to nft monkeys (laughs) (laughs) i think so yeah i think yeah animal welfare standards should include (laughs) nfts defra has brought a report where they've identified a new food source for uh, the uh, starving britain that we find ourselves in today It's NFT owners. <laughs> yeah. Crypto guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Does anybody have, have any other like final thoughts or anything? Or shall we wrap this, uh, this I up? I don't here? think so. I think this has been I'm, sufficiently I'm depressing. Uh, thanks. Yeah. For yeah. That. Sorry, Eleanor. I, I, I really was trying to like have yeah, something. Yeah, sorry, Eleanor. That's exactly what we yeah, aim for. I, mean, <laughs> I absolutely love it. You know I dig peasant chat. You know I want to talk about the sheepies. You know I love, I love a fucking dry stone wall, me. Uh, it's just a shame that apparently nobody else does. But they, hey ho! <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you uh, like your dry stone wall, uh, you can keep it. Yeah, it's all right. Soon you can live inside one. <laughs> yeah. Part of one, David, please. Yeah, part of one. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, okay. Right, uh, we'll wrap it up here. I will. I mean, um, you could you could live inside it once once landlords figure out that thirty seven square feet like or, th- or square meters or whatever the fuck it was can just be a line. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> landlords want you to live in one dimension. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. We will be back next week with another episode, uh, another free one, and we should have another bonus episode out towards the end of the month. So look forward to that. And yeah. That's that's pretty much all I've got. Check out um, the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash PraxisCast. Check out the Twitch streams on Mondays and uh, Thursdays. Mondays and, Thursdays and, and they are going fucking gangbusters, really. Yeah, we're, we're so good at the fucking Viking Hell game. Oh, yeah. It's not, even, it's not even funny. Nice. How, how, how inept we aren't. <laughs> look so, all yeah. i'm saying is all i'm saying is if a real farmer had to deal with the problems that we did like pigs that can just face through walls then um they would understand how hard that it is was, to that was that was honestly the least of our fucking problems though wasn't it when we sailed all the way to that swamp and immediately died and then like had to walk <laughs> all the way back because the the boat obviously like 
That happens to so then. many farmers every year. It's a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can check that out on twitch.tv forward slash PraxisCast. And Eleanor, yeah. thank you very much for coming back on. It's been a pleasure. An absolute And delight. also, Eleanor, do you want to... Do you want to plug your oh, uh, yeah, I, many, many fold things? Uh, I can plug some things. Yo, could you buy my comic book? It's called... Uh, it's real good. It's real good. It's got good pictures. It's called uh, The Middle Ages, A Graphic History, and it'll get you up to speed with medieval history stuff more generally. Um, otherwise, obviously, I'm on Twitter being an idiot at Going Medieval. Uh, my blog is going-medieval.com, and you can support it at Patreon backslash Going Medieval. Yeah. And you can listen to We're Not So Different, oh, which yeah, is also my pod- a good My podcast. podcast is We're Not So Different. Uh, I do, I'm so tired, y'all. I have too many things. Uh, my <laughs> podcast, um, uh, We're Not So Different, you can find on all good uh, podcast forms. Um, and you can also find us on Twitter at uh, WNSDpod. Cool. Yeah. There cool. you go. I can do we'll plugs. and do your homework, dear listener. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> I'm learning. It's good. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> Jamie, did you learn anything today? Do I learn anything any day? <laughs> well, I mean, that's again, that's another thing that we aim for, to, for Jamie never to learn anything. What I am learning right now is that it's time to stop the episode. Bye. 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 Bye.